Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. So when I was in college, I led a worship team for our university's chapter of Crew, which used to be called Campus Crusade. I'm glad they changed the name, too. Anyway, every year they would hold this fundraising banquet for all of the local chapters from the universities in our area. And my worship team this one year was asked to do some music for this fundraising banquet. It was this really nice evening. There was finger food and punch flowing. But what I remember most wasn't the music that we played or the really nice words that our advisors said. Um, But it was a conversation that I had with one of the guests. He was this kind of round man with a nice suit and he had really nice shoes When he smiled, though, it wasn't just with his mouth. He smiled with his eyes and really with his whole face. And he smiled a lot. At some point in the conversation, somebody asked him, why was he here? And I remember that being an odd question at the time, but he smiled, of course, and he said, you know, I love giving money away. I'm not trying to be immodest, but I make a lot of money. But it's weird. I make the money, and so I give a lot away. And then the next year, I make even more money. So I give even more away. I guess God just wants me to use what I have to make sure that this stuff can happen. We've been preaching through this series uh, for the last number of weeks, taken from the spiritual gifts that Paul lists in Romans 12. And the basic idea is that these gifts are given to us by the Spirit of God for the sake of our life as God's people on his mission together. That our diversity is itself a gift, because it means that while alone we are not enough, Together, we form the body of Christ for the good of all of humanity. See, God provides what we need for the times that we need it. Now, because these are God's gifts to the people of the church, they are things that God does already. Put another way, when we use the gifts of the Spirit of God, the ones that God has given us, we imitate God. See, God would not gift us something to do that isn't already like him. Let me show you what I mean. We've already talked through a few of the gifts already. So the prophet, the servant, the teacher, and the encourager. The prophet comes to a given situation with their gift, and they see who God is and what it looks like for people to imitate God in that situation. And so the prophet will want the behavior of the people in that situation to more closely imitate God, and then she will let them know. In the same situation, though, the servant will see opportunities to help meet a need because God is all about serving others. The teacher will see the truth of the situation to help others understand what's going on because God is truth. And the encourager will find ways to inspire the people because God wants us to be the best that we can be and to do the best that we can do. And today, Paul says, if your gift is giving, give generously. Now, the Greek word here is metadidome, meaning to impart, to give over, to share with someone else. The implication being that giving to another person with a purpose is what's important. So another way we could say this is that they are to equip. To those who are gifted with the ability to equip others, says Paul, equip them generously, equip them liberally, and equip them abundantly. 
Equippers are people who recognize that God is the one who provides and then become conduits for God's extravagant generosity to equip the church for its purpose. God never sends us to do something without the resources to do what he's asked us to do. Here's the stuff that you need to do the thing that I asked, basically. These are the people who are blessed to be a blessing because God is generous, so are they. So if we can see each of these spiritual gifts modeled in the life of Jesus, because Jesus is God, what can we learn more about what it means to equip generously? So what might be one time that Jesus was, I don't know how to say, like super generous? So Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for the Passover, the Jewish festival. So we're about a year into Jesus' ministry, and he's been, for the most part, in Jerusalem, doing all sorts of things to get himself in trouble with the religious readers of the day, the Pharisees. He starts by making wine out of water at this wedding, and then he moves to flipping tables and driving shady business owners out of the temple courts with a whip. Just before this, he heals a man born lame. But the miracle broke Sabbath laws, since according to the Pharisees, Jews were not supposed to do work on the holy day. You begin to get this feeling like Jesus is setting himself up against the religious and the political establishment. And yet Jesus had developed quite the following. Our story opens with Jesus being followed by this large crowd of people, people drawn to him from everywhere because of how he healed the sick. Well, not only because of that, but there's, there's more coming. Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, where will we pay food for all these people? Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. The side of the mountain that they've just hiked to is above the Sea of Tiberias, or most of us probably know it as the Sea of Galilee. This is wilderness country. This is away from cities and even away from little towns or villages. Well, we're not given any particular reason why Jesus chose to walk this way, some scholars actually believe that this is the Gospel of John's setting for the Sermon on the Mount. But instead of taking Jesus' words, John describes Jesus' actions. He chooses to describe how Jesus sees the people and notices their situation. They're hungry. And like any good rabbi, Jesus then uses this opportunity to hand the problem to his disciples. How should we feed these people who followed us into the wilderness? He asks them. He asked Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? And Philip replied, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, a youth here has five barley loaves with two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. This is a theme for the author of the book of John, how consistently the disciples think within this very narrow scope of their limited experience and how Jesus tries to help them broaden their horizons, as it were. In chapter 3, Nicodemus was a Jewish scholar and missed everything that the scriptures said about God's plan to make the world new again. In chapter 4, the Samaritan woman just wanted water, but Jesus wants to restore her with her relationship with God and her relationship with her people. 
So now in chapter 6, it's Jesus' own disciples who have already seen some pretty amazing things who are having trouble thinking bigger. Philip sees scarce resources for an abundance of people. And after a quick calculation, he determines that there is no way that they have enough food for everyone. Andrew steps in with a sack lunch of barley rolls and some bits of fish that he acquired from a kid in the crowd. This is, by the way, food typically eaten by people who are poor. And he quickly points out that this small supply is not enough for 5,000 hungry families seated around them, obviously. But Jesus asks because he's testing them. That is what a rabbi does with his disciples. And as we've already heard, Jesus came in with a plan. Then Jesus took the bread. When he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. I think this feeding of the 5,000 families is such a beautiful way to see how equippers operate. Now, I'm not sure that we can blame the disciples for not thinking of a miracle as the solution to the problem at hand. But apparently this had been Jesus' plan all along. Jesus has seen a need that people are following him, and now they're in the middle of nowhere, so they're hungry. So what does Jesus do? Well, first, Jesus thanks God for the food. See, equippers are people who, above all else, recognize that God is the ultimate source of provision. God is creator, and so God is a God of abundance. Now, while the text doesn't say this, the most common form of blessing at the time, or giving thanks, was a prayer that went like this. Blessed be the Lord our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now, everyone there would have known this prayer. But in this case, it's particularly poignant. It recognizes that God is the provider of all that is to come. Here, Jesus shows us, or dare I say it, models for us his dependence upon God the Father. Now, one thing that we've seen in this series is that while Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to follow these spiritual gifts, to use these spiritual gifts, human beings are not so perfect. Um, We will sometimes misuse our gift or even forget that we have it. And so what is in the power of the Holy Spirit, a strength, becomes a weakness or a liability when the Spirit's power is not part of the equation. In fact, I think we've already seen that here in this passage. Andrew and Philip have already shown us what happens when an equipper forgets their gift. Now, instead of God's abundance, what they see is a world of scarcity, where resources are few and there is never enough. Philip says there is no way to afford enough to provide lunch for everyone. And on some level, he actually implies that it's not even really his responsibility. Like, maybe they should have taken care of themselves when they came all the way out here. And while Andrew has a little bit more imagination, and he sees this sack lunch, he then notes that there is no way that it's enough for everyone. See, without the input of the Holy Spirit, an equipper will just begin to think that they are the ones who are meant to provide. And upon realizing that their resources are limited, they will then hoard those resources. But in the power of the Spirit, an equipper will then recognize their dependence on God. And in anticipation of God's lavish generosity, 
will express their profound gratitude. Next, Jesus distributes the food. First the bread, and then the fish. And what do you know, but it just keeps coming and coming and coming from somewhere. I don't know. I I keep trying to picture what this might look like. But in any case, God provides. See, an equipper gives freely, unconditionally of the resources that they have been given because those resources are provided by God in God's abundance. And so the equipper trusts that in God there will be more than enough. We as a church should never be afraid of a lack of resources because even in the widow in Luke chapter 21, she gives above and beyond because she trusted God. Or here, even in our story, the boy in this passage gives up his lunch because God is in need of it. Now again, when an equipper tries to do this under their own strength instead of God's spirit, that unconditional giving can turn into conditional giving, what you might call a performance. It's no longer about God's generosity, but instead it becomes about my image. Equippers who are unhealthy can sometimes give uh, the resources not of the goodness of their hearts, because it makes them look good for doing it. Another word for this is virtue signaling. They'll throw money into the basket, but only when people are noticing, or they'll, they'll help with the work, but only if it's caught on camera. It's a danger today. I mean, that's the problem with social media, but it was just as much a danger back then. You know that God says to that? God says, you have received your reward in full. But when an equipper is healthy, look how far the generosity of God goes. Verse 13 here says that everyone eats until they're completely full. There are 12 baskets of food left over. There were 5,000 families there. And they were eating till they were bursting. That means even the teenagers were satisfied. How generous must God be for that? This posture of assurance and trust in God's provision, and thus the act of giving freely, that's our second mark of an equipper. So let's review. Noting that the disciples themselves are ill-equipped for the task at hand, for caring for this crowd, Jesus decides to show them the bigger picture. After thanking God for providing, Jesus multiplies a few loaves of bread and bits of fish into a feast that satisfies a large multitude of families gathered on the side of a mountain in the wilderness to hear from God with enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. Oh, and by the way, it's the time for the Jews to celebrate the Passover. You see, there's obviously a lot more going on here than just a simple miracle of multiplying a sack lunch. There's a ton of imagery pulled from all over Israel's history here, but it's especially their most important narrative, how God uses Moses to free Israel from slavery in Egypt, which may explain the next few passages here. When the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king, so he took refuge again alone on the mountain. Force him to be, where did that come from? I mean, it it was a big lunch and everyone got more than they'd expected to, but force him to be their king? I mean, last I checked, you don't just ask someone who took you to McDonald's for some fish sandwiches to be your president. What we need to see here is that there's this whole thread of subtext to this passage. There are clues all over the place. 
the crowd comes to Jesus because they've seen his miraculous signs. The author mentions the Passover. A huge multitude of people gather in the wilderness to sit on the mountain to see Jesus, who in the book of John has already been called the word of God. They say Jesus is a true prophet. Moses was a true prophet. Twelve baskets are collected, twelve being the number of the tribes of Israel. This is all about the Exodus, or more specifically, the story of Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt. And remember that this is a group of people who can only afford barley bread. They're the poor people in a country that is under Roman occupation, under the rule of a puppet king who did nothing but take advantage of them. This is not something that just came out of the blue. This is something that they have been working themselves up to since Jesus began his ministry several chapters, or really about a year before this. They've seen him drive out people taking advantage of them in the temple. They've seen him do many miraculous signs, and in their mind, providing them bread out of nowhere is an awful lot like God providing manna in the wilderness to the people. It's the final piece of the puzzle to them. This man needs to be our king the Messiah who has come to free us from Rome's tyranny. But this gets to the final gift of the equipper. See, an equipper is one who equips people with resources not just because, but for a purpose. Specifically, the equipper fosters the resources in the church that the church needs, continuing the work of God's kingdom here on earth. And do you see what Jesus' response is to their decision to make him king? he goes back up the mountain and not just wanders back up the mountain. The word that says he took refuge is more literally translated that Jesus fled up the mountain post haste as fast as his legs could carry him. He booked it out of there. See, he knows his purpose. And while the crowd of people saw maybe a little piece of that in this liberation imagery, the freedom from tyranny, they did not understand the nature of how Jesus had come to do that. He was not a king who came to free them using violence or rebellion. He never came to seek political or military power, not even a little. In fact, what Jesus did was submit to the political power and then transcend it. Death obeyed him, but Rome? Rome fell on its own. See, Nicooper without the spirit is merely a pawn in game of power. Instead of providing resources to foster God's agenda, they work very hard to take the resources to manipulate others toward their own agenda, for their own means, their own power. But Jesus fled from the crowd's demands to make him king. And Nicooper, empowered by the spirit, provides the resources they need to bring the kingdom of God. That is the purpose that drives them. They are not in it for themselves. So how can we position ourselves to let God foster this gift of equipping in our own lives or in our own communities? I think three things. First, we pray prayers of gratitude. Yes, God loves a cheerful giver and all that, but more to the point, we must keep reminding ourselves that God is the one who provides. When it seems like there isn't enough, while others are hoarding their toilet paper or hoarding their yeast or their time or their money, thank God for what God has already provided you. Remind yourself of how you depend on God for what God gives and that God is the creator. He is abundant in his generosity. 
this will be hard. When you're looking at the shelf that holds all the teepee and it's completely empty, that's a time it might feel like you want to panic just a little bit and take matters into your own hands. Begin with a prayer of gratitude. Second, pray that God will open your eyes to the needs of others who you can equip. And then pray that God will help you be generous in what you give. Again, you don't have to be wealthy to give, to equip. In fact, if scripture and life have taught me anything on this subject, it's that the people who have less and less are the ones that seem to want to give more and more. Give way beyond what you think is comfortable, no matter what you have. As Pastor Craig says, you never need more in order to be generous. Equippers give of their finances and time and labor and ideas and and everything that they have because God has already given it to them. And finally, in order to give freely, it helps to know what God is already doing in your community so you can know how to contribute. Pray that God keeps you on mission, keeps your purpose in front of you, that his kingdom is your purpose, to love God and to love others. The opportunities to equip others are endless when they see the world from this perspective. Pray that God keeps his mission in front of us. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Creator God, thank you. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for the food on our tables and the time we have together, for the abundance that we have as your children. Lord, open our eyes to see where you need us to act, where the gifts that you have given us can be used for the best. Lord, multiply them. Help us be people who are generous with all that you've given us, Lord, for we know that you have provided it. May your kingdom come on earth through us. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen.